Good to see you all. Amen. All right. Hello. Check, check. We, am I on? Is this on? All right. I think it's on. We're good to go. So I just want to say, wow, man, thank you guys so much for giving and for giving uh, sacrificially. Uh, uh, the $99,000 we have in the Building Improvement Fund, that just blows my mind, all right? That's praise God. That's all glory to God, and thank you for giving. I mean, for a church uh, our size, look around. There's not like uh, thousands of people, and by God's grace, we raised almost $40,000 in what? Uh, no, December or something, November, right? So it's not long ago. So praise God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's some really cool things on the horizon that uh, I'll be, Lord willing, as they progress and unfold, giving you more details on. One of the things we're working on is uh, small groups. As I mentioned at the beginning of the year, we want to launch small groups to, I mean, with all the growth we've had, as I said, a lot of new members uh, means a lot of discipling that needs to occur and we need to improve on. So we're going to be launching, by God's grace, small groups in the near future. Today actually starts training for those who will lead and those who will help in the small groups after church immediately following services. Now, if you're here and you're like, well, I didn't get invited. How, how come I wasn't invited? To, all right? If that's, if that's you, I want to ease your struggles, all right? If that's you, please know this is going to be the first, likely, of several trainings that will come down the pipe. So actually be glad that you weren't asked the first go-around because the first go-around gets it the worst, right? It gets better as we progress, okay? So uh, you likely, if you have an interest or desire to receive that training, please let me know if you weren't invited, and that way I can make sure the next go-around that you're on there. Uh, I also wanted to keep it fairly small, even keeping it fairly small, it's already fairly big, all right? So, uh, because I want to have some good, meaningful interaction uh, in that context. So, that'll be starting today. Be praying for us. Be praying for our church. It'll be a sweet and exciting time as we move into that and have many other venues for you to plug into and grow in your relationship with Christ. So, be praying for us. I'm excited. It's six weeks long. Um, so, pray for those who will be going through the training also, all right? as they drink from a fire hose, so to speak. All right, the context. Uh, we're, we've been in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we've worked through uh, chapter 2, specifically 11 through 15, on what is the role of women in the church, and can they be elders, can they be pastors, can they be teachers, and so on and so forth. If you missed those sermons, go back on our website, callawaybaptist.org, two messages, and you'll find the answer in in summation, the answer was no, they cannot hold the office of a pastor. For a lot more fleshing out of that, check out those sermons. Uh, we also covered the qualifications of a pastor, all right? Uh, so not only is it that women can't be pastors, but not even all men can be pastors, only men who are called and qualified as meeting the stipulations in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through Seven, and that was elders. Now, some of you hear this idea of elder. 
And with the Star Wars movie just released, you might be like, dude, what is this elder? Is this like a, a Jedi council or something? All right. That, that's not what it is. Others, maybe a little bit younger, might not go to Star Wars. You might go to, and when you hear elder, you might think of Happy Feet. All right. The big emperor penguins, the old ones who are all kind of crodgy and upset with the little penguin Happy Feet. Right. Not that either. All right. That's not the elders of the scripture. The elders of the scripture are godly men who love Jesus, love their families, love other people, love the Bible, and love to love on God's people. All right, the wonderful, joyful men uh, who the Lord gives to the church for the work of the ministry. And so that was elders. This week, this week, we turn our attention to deacons. The title of my sermon is Deacons Who Die. <laughs> deacons who die. You're like, well, well, what's up with that? All right. The idea is deacons who die to themselves, die to their wants, die to their desires, die to their preferences, all for the sake of serving the body of Christ. Now, if you're here, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm hurting, Pastor. I don't really want to hear about deacons because I'm not one and I don't have any aspirations to be one. I don't want to hear about church leadership because I've got other problems. I came on the wrong Sunday. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. God has far more in store for you than you can imagine. This book, after all, was written to Timothy to be read aloud in the church. Now, why does this matter for you? Like we said last week, one is because the members of the church are, one, those who appoint and affirm pastors and deacons to serve in the body. So really, whose job is it to affirm and identify these men? And women, I'll argue, for deacons. Whose job is it to appoint them and affirm them? Yours, all right? So how do you know what to look for? That's what this is for. What's the second reason that this is important for you. Because none of these character traits are for super Christians. None of these are for only deacons. These are actually character traits that are expected and mandated of all believers. Everybody. Not just those who hold the office. So how come he identifies these then? Well, the reason he identifies this is because God's leaders are to be exemplary in their faith, in their walk with Christ. They are to be mature examples of what a Christian looks like, you see? And so he highlights this. So when you read in the, uh, the qualifications of a pastor, for example, and it says, he must not be violent but gentle, that doesn't mean that we can all go off and start punching each other, right, who aren't pastors. Well, he says, pastors can't be violent, but I can, all right? When it says he must uh, manage his own household well, does that mean the rest of you can just let your household go down into the... No, no, these are things that apply to all believers at all times. These are men who are to be examples of it. And so as we turn to this role... Uh, of deacons, that's very important. I hope you are encouraged and edified and look forward to seeing what God does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us that you gift men in your church and women in your church who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who seek first the kingdom of God and are willing to pour out their lives to see it happen.
I thank you for the men in our church who serve and the women in our church who serve faithfully uh, week in and week out and receive little recognition, Lord. We praise you for these gifts to our church, and we ask that you would raise up more, that you would raise up more and that you would create throughout the whole body this holy desire for the work to do what you have called us to do. I pray now that you would guide us by your Spirit, give us understanding, and we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right, the four qualifications, or four, rather, headings that we'll examine the qualifications under. A deacon must be dignified. If you're taking notes, a deacon must be dignified, dedicated, dependent, and diverse. Dignified, dedicated, dependent, and diverse. We'll examine the qualifications under those four headings. So, A deacon must be dignified. Verse 8 literally means the word deacon. Deacons likewise means servant. Servant. Who wants to be a servant in here? It's kind of a trick question, all right? Kind of a trick question. All of your hands should go up. Why? Who was a servant? Jesus, right? Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Who wants to be like Jesus, all right? All right, I don't see as many hands high in the sky, all right, 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 so we have work to do, (laughs) discipleship, no, Uh, we want to be servants, but a servant in that culture and in this one is generally not looked favorably upon, we don't want to be servants, we want to be leaders, want to be a baller, shot caller, that's what we want to be, right, that's it. Servants, not so much. You don't hear too many songs. I want to be a... I don't, I'm not going to try and make it a rhyme right now, okay? But we want to be leaders, not servants, generally. And yet the kingdom of God totally flips the values of the world, the values of our culture on its head. The kingdom of God says, if you want to be great, you'll be last. You'll be the least of these. If you want to be first, you'll be last. If you want to lead, you will serve. And so some, you could say, pastors are servant leaders. Pastors are servant leaders. And you can say, deacons are leading servants. Pastors are servant leaders. Deacons are leading servants. And they work together for the sake of the kingdom of God. They're servants of the church. If you did a word study and you just opened your Greek concordance or your English concordance and you said, where is every uh, occurrence of this word deacon or servant found in the Bible, what you would find is it's most often associated with meeting physical needs. Waiting tables, uh, serving food, distributing food, it's most often used to meet a physical need of some kind. And Paul says that this becomes later an office in the church, an office of a servant, a leading servant. Notice that word likewise in verse 8. You guys see it? Verse 8, likewise, the deacons or the deacons, likewise, depending on your translation. Paul is carrying over the qualifications from that of an elder to the deacons, right? So an elder must be blameless, above reproach, all these different things. And he says, likewise, deacons. There's overlap in their qualifications. The character traits, beloved, are the same. A lot of times we kind of have this uh, hierarchy, depending on your church background, you kind of have this hierarchy in your mind of pastors and deacons as if, okay, 
here's me, I'm just a regular church goer, all right? Maybe I'm like down here. And then a deacon, well, a deacon's like maybe up here. They're just a little bit godlier. And then a pastor is like up here or something, right? Well, depending on your background, and then you're like, if you're a Catholic, then you're like, then there's the Pope, and he, right? Say, so there's all these, we kind of have this hierarchy, but beloved, the, the idea of Scripture is that deacons and pastors, the character traits are the same. The only difference is a differing role, a differing function in the life of the church. There's only one difference, really, between the two, and that is the skill set. The skill set. A pastor is to be able to teach. He is to be able to teach. And this goes with their different functions. Deacons are servants. They serve the physical needs of the church. We'll talk about this in a minute. To free up the pastors and elders to minister the word and pray unhindered. So they work together. They're like a team. Picture a bicycle. Who has a bicycle in here? Raise your hand if you have a bicycle. Who knows how to ride that bicycle? Who does not know how to ride a bicycle? You going to be brave? Anybody not know how to ride a bicycle? Oh, right. There's a, there's, I think I saw one. Okay. So, fair enough. Now, imagine a bicycle has two wheels, all right? Two wheels. Can you ride a bicycle with one wheel? Yeah, you can. You can. It's called a wheelie, right? You just pop it up and you just, you got a balance and you look kind of like a dolphin on it. And it's, you can ride a bicycle with one wheel. The question is, can you do it effectively as it was intended to be? No. No, you can do it. You're going to expend a lot of energy. You're going to expend a lot of power and your legs and balancing to try and maintain that because it's not how it was designed. And so you could say the office of deacon and pastor are like that. The church is designed to have two wheels to help propel it forward. So to speak, one would be that of pastor. The other would be that of deacon. Can you do it on one wheel? Yeah, it can. Is it efficient? Not as it was intended to be. Not as it was intended to be. So Likewise, there's caring over things. So what, let's get into just a few of them. Dignified. Deacons are to be dignified, respectable, worthy of honor. Let me just, I'm going to put these guys on the spot. I didn't tell them I was going to do this, all right? But I'm going to ask them, how many deacons do we have in our church? Do you know? How many? Three. Three. Just like the Trinity. Okay? That's, no, I'm just kidding. Not like that. All right? Um, Let's see, Bill, can you stand up and say hello? Just wave, stand up, say hi. Bill Staten is one. Awesome, brother. Yes, yes, yes. Clap for them. Uh, Lance Hiramoto, can you just step up and wave, say hi right here? Lance, all right. So handsome, so handsome. Actually, a power lifter, very strong, too. Okay. Um, and then also Wes Higuchi, who's not in here. He is teaching the young Keikis right now, all right? These are our three deacons. I, I love these men. I would, I would lay my life down for them. And, and they have laid down their lives for me in many ways this year. Um, and so you, they serve you. They serve you so much. More hours go into meetings and talking through and praying for you guys and working out issues than you really even know. Uh, week in and week out, they've been meeting every week with me for almost three years for an hour and a half, at least, sometimes longer, in addition to everything else they do. Uh, and so these guys love you and they serve you very much. 
uh, I can tell you that. So if you see them, thank them, encourage them. If you've been blessed by the ministries of our church, likely they have had some hand in it. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure they have had some hand in whatever ministry you've been blessed by. And so they are dignified. They are respectable. They are worthy of honor. Uh, doesn't mean that deacons should necessarily be likable, although that's helpful, but that they're respectable. And why do I say that? Is it because these guys aren't likable? No, they are. But there's a difference. You can like somebody and not respect them. Amen? There's people you like, yeah, I just like this guy, but we don't have respect for them. We don't want to uh, imitate their lifestyle because it's not dignified. It's also possible to be respectable and not like somebody, all right? This, is, this shouldn't happen in the church, but it kind of can. Like, wow, you know what? I, that guy, I don't, I don't like it, but I respect them. They're, they're consistent. They're men of integrity. They're honorable. Right on. They should be respectable, dignified. Not double-tongued is the next one. Not double-tongued. Dialogos or dialogos, right? To die, logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word, word there is logos. And so he says it shouldn't be two tongues. What does this mean? It means he shouldn't have two words, these men, these deacons. They can't be people who say one thing to your face, and in another thing behind your back to another group of people. They must be men who are sincere. They have integrity. They mean what they say, and they say what they mean. They don't say one thing and mean another thing, and therefore their words can't be trusted. This is important for all Christians, amen? So just because deacons can't be two-tongued doesn't mean that we all can, all right? Everybody else can. You guys are good to go, all right? You can be flattering and all sorts of stuff. No, this is important for the Christian life. The book of James, he sums up in chapter 5 and he says, but above all, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We're to be people, beloved, who are trustworthy in our words, the things we say. Why? Because we reflect a holy God who speaks. These are men who can be trusted in their words. They're not known for gossiping or slandering. They're known for loving people, loving Christ. And this is very evident in the words and in their lifestyle. They're not two-tongued. They're not addicted to much wine. Again, does this mean that, okay, so deacons, you guys can't be hammering down Jack Daniels and some whiskey, but everybody else? Drunkards, all right? We're going to be down at Ale House, all right? Communion's at Ale House next month, right? No, it's not what we're saying, okay? There's, they're not to be a drunkard, and neither is anybody else in the body. Neither is anybody else in the body to be a drunkard. They are to be models of self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. At the end, self-control. They are to be models of self-control, Nobody among God's people should be known as a drunkard. The scriptures speak very clearly to the dangers of abusing alcohol or any other intoxicating substance. It's very dangerous. I wish I could talk more about the dangers of 
this and prescription drug medications, but uh, let it be known the gospel is key. If you find your family member, if you struggle with this as an individual, the gospel is key. Don't deny the problem. Don't deny that I'm ensnared in the problem. Rather, recognize what God says, that there is not that I should fight being ensnared, but that there's a way to be free the gospel of Christ. There's forgiveness in the gospel of Christ. There is power to sever the root of sin in the gospel of Christ. And a deacon is not to be a drunkard in the church. They're not to be greedy for dishonest gain. This is important, right? Very important, especially considering the mega churches and all these types of things and, uh, you know, Creflo Dollar, Pastor Creflo Dollar wanted to buy his own private jet so he can zip around the world, all right? That's not going to be on next year's budget, all right? I'm not going to be putting in for a private jet anytime soon. Deacons, pastors, they cannot. It is imperative that they not be greedy for dishonest gain. Every single one of those words is important. Why is this? Because deacons like elders are going to be granted. We're going to entrust them with a great deal of authority and oversight. In the book of Acts chapter 6, many would see this as a precursor to the deacon's office. An issue arose within the church, a a battle. The church grew and grew and it was growing fast. And and like you grow sometimes or like my son grows, he's going to grow out of his genes very quickly. He's going to be a problem. He's going to be walking around like high waters, you know. He kind of already does this because he grows so fast. and, And... He's going to have a problem. He's going to need it to be fixed. He's going to need new pants. The church, likewise, in Acts, was growing rapidly at breakneck speeds. And as a result, some widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And so this created division, problems. And the apostles found themselves very quickly, instead of praying and reading the scriptures, they were busy serving tables. They were, here, here, take this, and let me get this, and organizing all these things, taking away from their chief ministry. So they asked the church, appoint seven men from among yourselves whom we can assign this task to. Because it's not right that we should forsake the word of God in prayer to wait tables. And so that's exactly what they did. The church appointed seven men who were full of wisdom and and full of grace and full of the Spirit. And these men took on that role. Now, this was no small role. The early church in the book of Acts had several thousand members by this time. Surely not something that seven men could do all by themselves. They had to orchestrate, administrate, get other volunteers, garner help. And they were entrusted with the funds everything they needed to meet the task. Very important. So they're going to be trusted with a great deal of oversight and authority. Therefore, they cannot be greedy for dishonest gain. They can't be concerned or known as people who are primarily concerned with dollars and cents or the bottom line. For them, money is a tool, a tool to serve the body of Christ. As I said in our last business meeting and botched it, I'll try not to botch it here, these people, these men, they love people and use money. As opposed, you guys are laughing already, you know how I botched this, right? As opposed to using people and loving money. Right? They, they love people and use money, and they don't use people and love money. 
They don't view the church as a business first, but as a body, a living organism. And so they don't bring worldly concepts of management and business administration to the church. Rather, they let the scriptures say, this is how God's body should look, and this is how it will serve. It also means that their financial lives, like pastors, are open to examination and questioning. When I was interviewing and candidating for the pastorate here, you asked, rightfully so, how much debt do you have? What does your budget look like? How are you handling your debt? Are you going to pay it off? What do you think about debt? What do you think, right? You guys ask me all these questions, okay? What do you have in your bank account right now, right? And I was like, I don't know, $10? I don't know. Right, no, it was, uh, it's 15 actually. But their lives are open. Do they give regularly? Not how much do you give, but do you give? Is it regular? Is it consistent? Why is this? Because elders and deacons are not exempt from the words of Christ, and neither are you. Think about this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So leaders in the church, you want to know their treasure is in heaven, not on earth. Notice it doesn't say that they don't want gain, though. Remember I said every word of that was important? They're not greedy for dishonest gain. Remember I said every word of that was important? It doesn't say, it doesn't say that they don't want gain. It says they're not greedy for dishonest gain. I would actually say that gain is the promise of the Christian life. That you forsake everything this world has to offer for gain. Whatever gain I had, Paul says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That means at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you were to give all the riches and treasures of the world offered to you and Christ offered to you, if you choose Christ, you gain. That's what he means. You don't lose. You gain. It's only gain. And deacons are no different. There is gain in serving Christ. Book of Matthew, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man finds it, in his joy, he sells all that he has to buy the field. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure. You forsake everything to get it, and it's gain. The key is that they can't be greedy for dishonest gain. They are to be husbands of one wife. We examined this last time. It's a one-woman man uh, with elders. So if you have questions about what that means, uh, the same interpretation would apply from last week's sermon. Check it out. They have to manage their own children and household well. Again, similar, you see. The only difference is there's not a for clause, a so that clause. With pastors, it says they must manage their own household well. For if they do not know how to manage their own household, how will they handle the church of God? That phrase is not in this phrase for deacons. Why? Because elders are tasked with oversight, with governing care of the church. But still yet, it's required for them to manage their household well. So they must be dignified. Number two, a deacon must be dedicated. He must be dedicated. It says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That sounds really Indiana Jones-ish, right? 
must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What does that mean? It simply means this. It's another way that Paul refers to the gospel, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you were to read on in chapter 3, I encourage you to. You come to verse 14, 15, and 16. This is another way he refers to the gospel. He gives a whole hymn there about the gospel. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This requires testing. Not the type of testing that, okay, guys, we're going to issue a 100-question test. You have 60 minutes to complete it. May the Lord be with you, right? May the odds ever be in your favor, right? Okay? It's not that type of test. It's rather examine them. Do they meet this criteria? Look at them extensively, and if they prove to be blameless, they may serve as deacons. These men are to be dedicated to the mission of the church. What's the mission of the church? Make disciples of all nations. They are single-minded in their focus. They are not easily distracted by turf wars. This is mine. How dare you take it from me? This is overstepping, right? They're not distracted and embroiled easily into turf wars. They are single-minded in their focus. Make disciples of all nations. This is the pattern from Acts 6. These men, they weren't concerned about just give me the money so I can care for the, or, uh, the widows and don't tell me what to do. They were doing it because it was detracting from the mission and they wanted to help the church advance the mission. This is what deacons do. This, is called some, this has led some to call deacons shock absorbers. Shock absorbers. They absorb the shock in the church so the body stays unified. If division, you can think of it like this, if division is a tool of the devil, of the enemy, to pierce and divide the body of Christ and render it ineffective, then deacons help stave off that attack by maintaining unity. You can think of it like a gun. Who likes guns? Maybe that's a bad question. Who's ever shot guns? All right. Who's ever shotguns, all right? It, it can be kind of fun, all right? You go down to the target, maybe you don't have fun with it, but it can be kind of fun and also kind of scary, right? Because you're like, dude, this could kill somebody, okay? So uh, as an officer, right, we would shoot. My very first time shooting a handgun was as an officer, um, and I got to, to learn a lot about that. But one of the things you do is there's a law of nature. For every action, there's an equal and opposite Reaction, right? And so, same holds true in firearms. You're holding a weapon, you pull the trigger, there's force that's propelling that bullet forward, and likewise, there's a reaction. We call it kick, right? There's a kick. That's what you know. That's the thing that you flinch when you're like... <laughs> Most people flinch, actually, with a shotgun, right? You have a shotgun, you're holding it, you've got a good stance, and you shoot. As an officer, I saw this big gun. It was a, somebody had a 50 cal sniper rifle, long barrel. Anybody ever seen one of those? All right? The bullets are like, I mean, the ammunition's huge, okay? If, if you hit somebody with it, it'll blow them apart. It'll just destroy. It's very gruesome, right? And they had this big 50 cal sniper rifle, and I saw them shoot it. I was standing right there, and everybody has earphones on because it's very loud. And he shoots it, and it goes... Poof, and out to the side, man, just dust and everything. You can even feel the, the shockwave standing next to it. Kind of freaky looking. And then they're like, you want to try it? I'm like, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's a guy. Uh, somebody else might be like, no. Right? So we get behind it, and I'm expecting, I'm bracing to get ready for this, like, coo, right? That's what I'm ready for. I get behind it, laying down, side in, pull the trigger, and to my surprise, it was just smooth. Right behind it, it was smooth as butter. It was just a wild, wild thing. Not why. Why is that? Because on that particular rifle, it has what's called a muzzle brake that deflects the force outward such that you feel more standing to the side of it than you do behind it. That's a deacon. <laughs> That's a deacon. As we are lobbing, we're, we're launching bullets, the word of God, into the kingdom of darkness. We're setting prisoners free. There is a kickback that is coming from the kingdom of darkness back at us, and they distribute it outward away from the body and help it move forward. Praise God. Praise God. These men are needed and necessary. They're like shock absorbers or muzzle brakes. They must be dependent. They hold to the gospel they hold it with a clear conscience. They must be dependent on the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart, a sincere faith, and a clean conscience, right? Uh, a good conscience. And so they're dependent on the gospel. These things, if we believe the, the scriptures teaching about sin, that we are born sinners, does the fruit of the Spirit grow naturally in the soil of a sinful heart? No. It only grows in a heart that is abiding in Christ. So these men and you, beloved, have to be walking in the Spirit. They are dependent on the gospel for their very lives. And then number four, the diaconate or the deacon, a deacon is diverse. Now what is this one? This one is aimed at answering the question, can women be deacons? Can women be deacons? Our constitution and bylaws right now would say no. I would say yes. So we have some thinking through to do, amen? Many of you, many of you are probably raised like I was with the understanding that women could not be pastors or deacons. On the basis of this verse, the controversy comes in verse 11. Here's what it says. Likewise, their wives, or their wives likewise, must be dignified. And then it goes on. And so they have said, well, see, wives, you have to, be, you have, to have a wife and... She's got to be dignified. So these are qualifications for deacons. Wives, women are not allowed to take office of a deacon. I would take issue with that for the following reasons. If you have an ESV Bible, if you have an NIV Bible, if you have a New American Standard Bible, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, likewise, the wives, or their wives, likewise, there should be a little number maybe in your Bibles. Maybe it'll be in the center column. It might be on a footnote. There should be a little number above that. And it'll show you, if you follow your, however your Bible is set up, it'll show you an alternative translation, a valid alternative translation. And it should say something like, the women, the women, or women likewise. You see that in your Bibles if you have it. If you don't have it, get a more clear Bible. I don't know, right? But... Uh, it should be there as a footnote. 
Now, why is that? Why is that there? The reason that's there is because in the original languages, the word for wife and the word for woman is the same exact word. It's the same word. There's no difference. Gune. Or goons. You're a bunch of goons is what you all are. All of you. Goonies. Right? No. It's the same word. It's the same exact Greek word. So the confusion comes because how do we know when we should translate it wife or when we should translate it woman? You see? Well, how do you decide? Context. Context will dictate whether he's talking about wives or whether he's talking about women. So that's how you decide these things. That's why it's put there as a footnote in your Bible. I would say and argue the better translation is for women, likewise the women, as opposed to their wives. Also note that word there, the pronoun there, likewise their wives, is not in the original. It is supplied by the translators. That's okay. They're not doing anything devious. That's how interpretation and translation work. Sometimes you have to supply words to make it fit grammatically, okay? The word there is not there. It's supplied by the translators on the basis that they chose to translate that word as wives as opposed to women. You're like, whoa, I was not expecting a little lesson in Greek here, all right? All right. Well, you're getting one for free, for free. So why would I say translate it as women as opposed to wives? I give you the following reasons. From chapter 2, verse 8, go check it out. Chapter 2, verse 8, just flip over a little bit. My Bible is running behind. Here we go. 2 verse 8. Here we go. I desire that in every place the men, also take note, the word for man, the Greek word for man, and the Greek word for husband are also the same, all right? So here they translated it not husbands, but as what? Men. Men? Okay. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, and then skip down to verse 9, likewise also that women, there's that Greek word again, but they translated it How? Women, as opposed to wives, or wife. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Verse 11, let a woman, not wife, same Greek word again, let a woman, but they translated it here as woman, not wife, let a woman learn quietly with all submiss submissiveness. Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. You see? So, we could translate each of those phrases as men, woman, or man, woman, men, women, as husbands, wives. But how do we know it's not it? Because it doesn't fit the context. It's clearly not what Paul's trying to say. He's not merely saying only wives should dress respectable and modestly, and all the single ladies, you're free to just go flaunt whatever you got, right? That's not what he's saying. Clearly, it's for all Women, or is it only the husbands that should pray in the church without anger, lifting holy hands? No, he's clearly addressing all the men. So then I would say, if we can't just merely replace it, and it doesn't make sense to replace it, and it's clear that there's man and woman, why, why, when we come to chapter 3, verse 11, would we all of a sudden switch the translation from men, women to wives? You see? Throughout consistently, this whole section, the context, they've translated this word as women, men. Why now only switch it to wives? Interesting. I would say the context supports the translation of women as opposed 
to their wives. Or let's look more immediately in chapter 3. If Paul was meaning to give deacons' wives qualifications, how come there's no qualifications listed for elders' wives? For the wives of pastors. I mean, we're tasked with governing and overseeing. We have more responsibility, more authority. How come my wife would not have qualifications, but these men's wives would? It doesn't match the context. It doesn't make sense. The flow, if we accept wives, the flow would look like this. Elders, deacons, deacons' wives. Or if we accept women... Elders, who cannot be women, deacons, female deacons, qualifications. You tell me which one matches the context. I would say contextually, the latter aligns better than the former. So Paul is addressing the role of women in the church, not just wives. You may point and say, well, Pastor Randy, that's not the whole story. Because he does say a uh, pastor and, and the deacon must be the husband of one wife and manage their household well. There's another male pronoun here that also carries to deacons. Well, as I said last week, I would say it isn't that Paul's trying to say a pastor must have wife. A pastor must have children, or therefore they are not qualified to be pastors. Rather, what Paul is arguing is if a pastor does have a wife, that he's faithful to his wife. If he does have children, he's dedicated to his children, to ministering faithfully to them. He's not saying that single men can't be pastors or else Paul would disqualify himself and Jesus. And he's not saying that childless couples can't be pastors, as if that's something they could control. Rather, he's saying these men are faithful in whatever areas of life, whatever seasons of life they find themselves in. The women are likewise. So, this would be the overarching argument. So finally, the nature of the office itself would be my last argument. Paul forbids a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Neither of those are vested in the office of a deacon. A deacon is just a servant. They're serving. That's all it is. They're just serving the physical needs of the church so that the body can move forward. These are the two exact functions of a pastor. I see nothing from this passage. I see nothing from the scriptures that would limit a woman's involvement in this office. So I say again, can women be deacons? I would say from this text, yes. If you disagree with me, all right, if you disagree with me, you can just get out. No, no. If you disagree with me, it's okay. This is a second order issue. This is not a gospel issue. This is a, what we call second order issues. We, don't, we, we talk about these things. We debate these things. We, we even, you know, maybe get angry or whatever about these things, but we don't divide over these things. It's not a gospel issue. So, if you disagree, then I would ask that you would disagree on biblical grounds, not on traditional grounds. Not that, well, this is the way I've always done it, this is the way I think it should be done, so I'm going to read that into this text, but rather take issue with the arguments I've given. If you can come and show me a better argument that says, well, actually, Randy, you said this, this is why women doesn't work. Awesome, let's do that. Disagree with me on biblical grounds. 
Now, this raises an issue, several issues in a church like ours and many others that we will tackle in the next two weeks. One of those things is that the role of our deacons in our church is blurred. Actually, the deacons in our church, and they know this, so this isn't catching them off guard, okay? Uh, we talk about this all the time. The role of deacons in our, in our case is like a hybrid. They have pastoral functions and they have deacon functions. It's kind of unclear. Makes things a little hard sometimes. So in a church like ours that defines deacons almost as pastors, then I would say, yeah, absolutely, women cannot be deacons in this context. So number, So what do we do? How do we move forward? I think... There's a few things we could do about it. One, we can leave it as it is and make other offices that women hold. We might call those committee chairs. I think that's exactly what we've done. Or we can realign our verbiage a little more with the scriptures. And that will require a little bit of change. So that is what we will turn to next week. In close, I want to close with verse 13. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I want to serve uh, to those of you who are official deacons now, Bill, Lance, you guys can relay the message to Wes. I want to say on behalf of the church, thank you. Thank you for your service for your sacrificial service to the body. I also want to say to those who serve as deacons, my sisters, my women sisters who have been kept from this office, who do very much deacon-like activities, and you get very little uh, applause for it from the pulpit, I want to affirm your service and say thank you. Thank you. We need you to serve. We need our sisters in Christ to serve. Thank you. Now, I know you and your families... All of you give greatly, you're appreciated, it's necessary, it's seen by God. I want to encourage you, keep giving. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God sees your work and you will be rewarded. He sees your sacrifice and it will be recognized in the last day. Now maybe you're here and you're not serving in any capacity right now. Maybe you're a member and you're just not serving in any capacity right now. I want to encourage you. There are some really exciting things happening. I want to encourage you to, to experience the excitement of joining in and serving the body of Christ, to, to serve and see what God is doing and actually be a part of what God is doing. And at the end of the day, he'll get all the glory. If the church is the body of Christ, we need every member working. So will you pray about how God might be leading you to serve and join with us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it is clear. I also thank you for how it challenges us, that it challenges us to think through things and to reexamine different issues. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you would mobilize these people for the gospel of Christ, that your love would just be so flowing through this body that we just serve naturally like Christ, that we grow in serving one another, that we would serve each other sacrificially and joyfully. And would you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.